All right, if we can find our seats, we'll get started here. Uh, we are in Philippians. We're finishing chapter 3 today. I'm going to have uh, one of our deacons, Rick Navrotsky, is going to read for us. i got a mic right here for you, buddy. He loves to be on stage and read, so... If you would, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 12 through 21. If you would stand with us. Not that I have already reached the goal, or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it contains, we thank you that you are a God who loves his people, who loves the bride. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that we would exalt in you and that we would rejoice over the truths that you might encourage us with this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Oh, everybody doing all right today? Doing good? This has been a passage that uh, was much needed, it felt like to me, after going through a number of passages where I felt like, um, uh, you ever see one of those uh, apple peelers where you put it on and you turn it and it skins it? I felt like that's what Philippians has been for me. I was the apple getting peeled uh, slowly, layer by layer, and sliced up and diced up as I read through Paul's writing to the Philippians, and, and I'm reading this thinking, you know, uh, in a season of life that I needed it, where I felt discouraged at times, and I, and I needed some joy, as we, we talked about, and I love how Travis introduced this book for us a number of, man, that's been a month or so ago, and talked about the theme of Philippians being joy, and I thought, great, this is exactly what I want to read right now, and I've been reading it and feeling like... Uh, Layer by layer, the Lord has been revealing my heart and, and walking through. And, and um, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but on a Sunday morning, you can walk into church uh, as somebody who sits in, a, in the seats here, and you can walk in having a bad day, and some people might know, but if the pastor walks in having a bad day, it's never a good thing um, because he's usually in front of people. And I thought about that, and, and as I thought about... Um, you know, even this morning I was kind of feeling sorry for myself and the Lord 
thankfully and graciously reveals truth through His Word and bringing things to your attention. And I'm walking through Philippians this last several weeks and I'm like, man, this is terrible. I can't do any of this. And I come to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, and it's been a breath of fresh air. Because there's a reality here that I want us to all hopefully be super encouraged by. And, and, and you know, we just finished Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 11, which is this heavy passage, right? About how everything in this world is loss compared to the gain of Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you how many conversations I had with my wife. We had an incredible community group discussion um, and, and just all kinds of things, just walking through that passage. And if you missed. Uh, any of Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, I'd encourage you to go back through and meditate on that and think through that. Because as we read that and you grasp what Paul is saying, he's saying in, in those passages that his goal in life is that he may know Christ, know him intimately through experience, and that everything in this life, everything that the world has to offer, is loss, including the good things including family, including uh, success in life, including uh, social status, including uh, uh, biblical understanding. All those things are lost if we don't gain Christ. And you read through that, and I, and I had these conversations with our community group, with my wife, and, and I said, but, but, but my life does not exemplify this. And when I sit down at the restaurant, my thought is, <laughs> we... I don't, I'm going to confess my, my sinful nature to you. Um, we went to a restaurant last week, and I was so irritated because I had finished my food, and I was waiting for the check. And it took well over 15 minutes for the waiter to even come back. And I was, you can ask my wife, I was getting angry, I was getting irritated. And, and as I'm walking through that, and, and I'm thinking through this whole passage in Philippians, I'm thinking... If the gospel is true and it changed my life in a moment, why am I not every minute of every waking hour thinking that this gospel radically transforms people and therefore it should be my heart with every single person that I encounter? And I walk through that and I think, Paul, you were this incredible person that I could never be and I could never uh, even come close to attaining this same desire, I feel like, of attaining Christ as my one goal in life. And then we come to Philippians chapter 3 and starting in verse 12, there is a breath of fresh air that Paul says, guess what, guys? I'm no different than you. Listen to what he says. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, and we'll look at that in a moment. One thing I do, but did you catch what Paul is saying? There's, there's a couple of things, because as I walked through last week, and I walked through that passage, and Paul says that, that this is the goal... I ask myself the question, how do I live in such a way, how do I make it my life that Christ is my gain and one true affection in life? And I think Paul tells us in this section of Scripture, and hopefully it's encouraging to you, because the first thing that we can see is a reality. A reality. 
Making Christ my all in all, all the time, is really hard because of my fickle mind and my wicked heart. That's the reality. That I am a human being who has the Scriptures are true when it says that the heart is desperately wicked, that it's deceitful. And this is, you know, if I were to open my heart up before you this morning, and hopefully I already have a little bit as you see what I'm like when I can't wait 15 minutes for a check, um, you can realize that, that this is the desperation of my heart. And there is something in this passage that has been speaking words of life to me that have been encouraging because the first thing I see is this reality. And in the reality, there is a call. And the call is, the, you know, Paul says, not that I've already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And I ask myself the question, what is this and it? Right? Because Paul says, I haven't already attained it. I, I haven't already uh, uh, obtained this, and I'm striving for it. So what is it? And, and we can go back. This is Paul's goal. Verses 10 and 11. Go back with me and read them. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Brothers and sisters, if this was what was said about our church, we would be the most dynamic church in the world. That this is our goal, that we may obtain an understanding, that we may know Him. And that Greek word is gnosko. It means to know from experience. It's experiential knowledge that I may know Him. Not that I know about Him. Not that I know who He is. Not that I know that his, He is the Savior of the world. But that I know Him personally. That I have a personal relationship with Him. That I possess and abide with Him. Paul says that my life goal... And you look at Paul, he was an ambitious person, right? He did all kinds of things. He was a missionary at heart. He went and planted churches all over. But Paul says, again, going back to the verses right before what we just read, all those things lost compared to what? That he might know him. We have countless letters of Paul, right? We have letters to the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Galatians, Timothy, Titus, all these things. And in it, we find that Paul's one goal is that I may know him. Oh, that I might have this as my desire in life. That I might know him. That I might experience the power of his resurrection. That I might share in his sufferings. That I might be a part of it. That the disciples said, and I still, every time I read it, my mind just explodes because I don't get it, that they would rejoice, that they would be counted worthy to suffer with Christ. That is a knowledge that, that, that comes through experiencing a Savior who loves you so deeply and intimately that you want nothing more than to be with Him all the time. And that is a challenge for me because I don't feel like that all the time. conformity to his death that I might spend more and more time getting to know him and a willingness to die for him. And if we stop there again, we'd end where we did last week and it might be a little heavy, but I love what Paul says. There's a reality here because that's the call. There's a clarifying here, isn't there? Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already 
perfect. Paul says, I'm not there yet. Paul, who so many of us put on a pedestal, and he would not want that, by the way, but we put Paul on a pedestal because of all that he's written and all that he's done, and we look at him and we say, man, this guy was incredible. Paul says, guess what? I'm not there yet, but I'm pursuing it. I'm not there yet, but I'm pursuing it. And why? And this is what I found so amazing. There's a cause in this, and I want you to see this because it is so important. Paul says, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I want it because he first wanted me and he made me his own. That is a true love story. 1 John 4 uh, what is it, 10? Uh, not that we love God, but that He loved us. In this is love. Brothers and sisters, you ask the question, what is my motivation? How do I pursue God in such a way? What was it that drew Paul in such a way that he said, I will forsake all things and I will count it joy to suffer the loss of all things that I might gain Christ? What was it? He understood how much Christ loved him and made him his own. If we could grasp this idea that, that Jesus loves me so much, as the, the old song says, right? That Jesus loves me this much, I know, for the Bible tells me so. If we could grasp that, how it changes our life. And we will desire to know Him. When I finally tricked my wife into being engaged with me. There was nobody I wanted to spend time with but her. And I love all of you, but I would much rather be with her. Because I love her. And if we feel that way about the Lord, we want to know Him. Experientially. I found comfort in that. I don't know if you do, but I did. That Paul, this guy that I look up to and I read all the things that he says and I say, man, this guy's incredible. This guy says, I want to die for Christ. And he says, I rejoice in his sufferings and I want to know him. And, and I read through all that and I'm like, yeah, that's great and all, but I will never be that way. And I know that so many of us have people that we look at and we say, man, that person is a godly person. I wish I could be an ounce like them. Brothers and sisters, Paul himself says, I'm not there yet but I'm pursuing it. So there's a reality, but there's also a remedy in this, and this is what is exciting to me. So how do we seek to make Christ my greatest gain? How do I do that? Paul says, okay, I'm not there yet. I'm pursuing it, and let me tell you how I do it. And this is so incredible. He says, notice what he says, but one thing I do, and, and, and I'm going to break that one thing into three parts for you. I know that sounds kind of sacrificial, heresy because he says one thing I do and I'm going to break it into three because I think it's one thing that involves three parts notice what he says he says but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus let those of us who are mature think this way and in any and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, one thing he does in three parts. Number one, forgetting what lies behind. Forget the past. Let go of the past. Why? 
the, the Greek word there literally means to deliberately leave it behind. So many of us, and, and I include myself in this, get caught up in what we have done 15 minutes ago. Yesterday. Five days ago. Last month. Six months ago. I can't tell you how many times I've had to walk through the struggles of, of ministry and, and thinking through that and how it does something to you. There's three things about the past and the regrets that we keep and why Paul says leave them behind. Number one, regrets paralyze. They absolutely paralyze us. They stop us in our tracks. And all we do is second guess and we sit there and we will, uh, uh, we will, they will keep us from accomplishing what the Lord has set for us. Paul says leave behind what lies in the past. Don't sit there and dwell on it. It, it Not only does it paralyze, but it also personalizes. Because guess what? As I begin to think of my past sins and I continually focus on them, it becomes about what I have done and not what the Lord has done through me. And it's about what I have failed to do instead of what the Lord wants to accomplish through me. It becomes about what I have failed to do or what I... You catch on? It's a focus on me, myself and I, and we begin to go into self-pity. It personalizes. And the reality is that regrets should be purged from our life as we're so wonderfully told in 1 John 1, 9, what? Confess your sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. So Paul says, I look at my past and, and if anybody had a past, it would have been Paul, right? I think of the, the accounts of Paul when he came to know the Lord. He was blinded for, what, three days? And I've oftentimes wondered if we ever had a glimpse into what went through Paul's mind for those three days. Paul, this zealous person who persecuted, it says that he breathed out murderous threats and he, brought, and he broke families apart and he put people in jail. He, it, it doesn't say he specifically did, but he probably had people put to death. He was there when Stephen was stoned. In fact, later on in Acts, Paul would recount that. And he said, I was there consenting to the death of Stephen. Can you imagine the guilt that Paul would have went through? Brothers and sisters, nobody in here has persecuted the church like Paul did. Who actively pursued to put people in prison. And, and, and actively tried to destroy the church. And Paul could have sat there and wallowed in self-pity and, and guilt and shame for the rest of his life, but it says he put them behind him. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I, I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He presses on, right? See, if we're supposed to look at this and say, well, the reality is I should be pursuing Christ that I might know Him and know Him intimately and make Him my one goal, yet in my life I see all these things that have kept me from doing that and I'm focused on those things. Paul says, no, leave those behind and move forward. There's been a phrase that I've heard a couple of times lately and it's been interesting how the Lord, before a sermon, has been uh, putting these phrases out to me that I 
if I'm willing to listen, I hear. And one thing that I've heard lately is um, that a church should not be defensive, but offensive. It should be pursuing. Why are we defending? Why are we sitting here putting up walls and defending our positions and our defending what mistakes we've made or defending various things? And the reality is we should be the church moving forward. Look forward to progress. How? Notice what Paul says, lying, what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call. When you talk about looking forward, how do you do that? I'd say a couple of things. Number one, get excited. Look at all that the Lord can and will accomplish. Get a vision of what the Lord desires and don't put limitations on that. We, we sit here and we, we say, well, we're, we're this, or we have this limitation, or we have this, and, and we forget that what we really have is a sovereign God who spoke stars into existence, who did all kinds of things, who raised people from the dead, who died on a cross and rose from the grave himself. And we ought to be excited when we think about a future. And we ought to be excited about what the Lord is going to do. And so Paul says, I'm going to press on and I'm going to go forward because I know that the Lord can do miraculous things and I am going to trust Him. Not only should we get excited about the future, but we should also get expectant. Knowing that He will do it. I think so oftentimes as Christians, we pray uh, faithless prayers. God, would you heal if it's your will? And it sounds super spiritual, but oftentimes what we really mean is, God, I don't believe you're going to do it, and I don't want you to be disappointed when you don't do it. It was William Carey, the great missionary to India, who said, expect great things for God, attempt great things for Him. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for Him. Get expectant. That when we talk about the future and we talk about moving forward, and you say, God, I know who I am, and I know the sins that lie behind me, and I don't pursue you in such a way that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and share in His sufferings, and I know that I don't do this, but I expect you will work mightily in my life, and I'm going to move towards that. So Paul says, I haven't already attained it, but I am going to lay behind the things of the past and I'm going to move forward. And not only am I going to get excited in the moving forward and get expectant, but I'm going to get exercising too. Because sometimes we sit here and we expect it, but we don't do anything about it. Get exercising. And here's the beauty of it. We press on. We keep moving. Paul just said, I'm not there. And you know what? I'm sure Paul fell many times in sin. I'm sure Paul stumbled. And I'm sure Paul did these various things. And, and, and as I look at this, and this is where I found encouragement because it says press on, and the idea is keep moving. Because I know in my heart that there are going to be times that I'm striving to follow after the Lord, and I fall, and I stumble, and I realize how wicked my heart is, and it is going to be so tempting to get caught there. And then we turn to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, and it says that the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. 
And that's the reality here, that as we strive towards the goal, we are going to fall and we will not fall into despair. And so Paul says, not only that, keep moving, look towards, look forward, look upward towards the prize, make it your goal to get to Christ Jesus. And then he says, let those of you who are mature think this way, put this mind in you. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you and he will remind you and he will help you. Don't fall into despair. That when you look at your life, and it's so easy, we are our own worst critics, and we sit here and we say, but God, I am such a horrible person. As a pastor, I'm supposed to be leading by example, and I look at my life and it is miserable. And God says, if you're mature, think this way. Look towards the upward call and move towards it. The righteous man may fall, but he gets back up again. Thankfully, it's not about what we have obtained acquire through our own works, but it's about what Christ has done in and through me. So not only does he say press on and keep moving and, and think this way, but he says whatever you have obtained, hold true to that. Hold fast to that. Hold on to it. And the question I ask myself as I look through that and I think through this passage is, what exactly have I obtained? What have I attained to? As Paul talks about an upward calling, what is it that moved him? What has he obtained? And, and I think through the many promises of Scripture that come through salvation. I think of salvation. I think of, of, of the reality that if I am to press on, what do I have in Christ? Romans 8.31. Right? That, that we are are given this incredible prize. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 8.37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I love that Stephen had that song up. Oh, death, 1 Corinthians 15.55, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What have we obtained? The promises of the Word. So we let Paul speak to us this morning. As I walked through this, my own life, I said, you know, God, I, I am terrible at this. And I find Paul saying, I'm not there yet, but I'm striving for it. And this is what I do. I put behind the things of the past and I move forward. But they said there were three parts of it. Verse 17, he says, brothers, join in, in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We put the things behind us, we look forward, and we latch on to godly patterns. Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example. People ask all the time, what's the purpose of church? Well, there's many purposes of church. Number one, 
we come and we declare that we still believe the truth of God's word and we walk and join together and say we declare that this to be true. We gather together as a church, number two, because it's a family, and this is my family, and these are my brothers and sisters. And we talked about this in in a deacon elder meeting recently, and, and how Jesus, when his brothers and sisters and his mother came, his biological family came to him, and he said, this, people that believe with me, they're my family. But we also do so because we find the encouragement of one another and we look to each other and we set a godly example for one another. And what I would encourage you that I find from Paul right here is this. Surround yourself with godly people. You look like those whom you hang out with, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Bad character corrupts people. This does not mean exclude or seclude yourself from the world. It does not mean that. But brothers and sisters, you must surround yourself with godly people. That's what the church is about, that you gather around godly people and you look to them for examples and encouragement that you might spur one another on, as the writer of Hebrews says. Let us not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Why? That we might encourage one another, and even more so as the day approaches. That we spur one another on. You can't get that at home watching TV preachers. That's not church. And I'm not trying to, to, to badger people, but I want you to understand that I need you. I need godly examples in my life. I need people that I can look at and say, that's how you walk this walk of faith. You will look like those whom you spend the most of your time with. That is important for us to understand. But Paul also understood something here. Not just that you should surround yourself with godly people. He also said, watch out because people still fall. And what a sad commentary that Paul walks through. And he's saying it with tears. He says that there are people that I know and love that are enemies of the cross. I can tell you people that I've known in ministry that have walked away and have become enemies of the cross. And it breaks my heart. But I think there's an interesting point here that can be a a point of word of caution for us as we look at this. And their end is destruction, he says. And he says three things. He says, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. And their minds are set on earthly things. Is this not the... From the beginning, Satan is not that clever, brothers and sisters. It's been the same three temptations from the beginning to the end. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and I forget the third one. Lust of the eyes, thank you. Our pride, our pleasures. And our possessions. Those should be the gauge that we evaluate our walk of faith. 
as I examine my life, where are the areas that I'm beginning to fade off in? Is it because of, of my desire for pleasure? Their bellies became their gods, what they wanted to fill their stomachs with? Was it their, their desire that they would be known and glorified and so they gloried in their shame and the things that they did? Or was it the possessions that they set their minds and their hearts on the things of earth? Brothers and sisters, this is a formula for us on how to avoid becoming an enemy of the cross. And so we have this remedy for a reality that says that this walk of faith, pursuing Christ, making Him our goal, the reality is that that's really hard, and here's how you do it. We put the things of our past behind us, we look forward, and we surround ourselves with godly examples that will encourage us and spur us on. As the writer of Hebrews says, that we have a great cloud of witnesses. And the analogy of the picture there is, is running a race and having an audience in the, in, the, in the stands clapping and saying, you go, keep going. And Paul is talking here using an exercise metaphor that he would press on and he's going to work hard and he's going to exercise to become what he needs to become in this step of faith that he might uh, possess Christ in such a way. There's a reality, there's a remedy, but there's also a reminder at the end. A reminder that tells us it's all worth it. It's all worth it. The hard work, the efforts. It's all worth it. What's all worth it? Being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb is all worth it. I was listening to a sermon on the way to church this morning about Revelation and the marriage supper of the Lamb. He talked about how uh, in that passage it says that the bride or the groom, which is contrary to American culture and Oriental culture, the groom is actually the point of emphasis. Quite different than in America, right? Where the bride, and, and, and rightfully so, in my opinion, the bride is upheld as the, the object of beauty and the object of, of what this day is all about. And then the groom is just kind of the, the reason that they're, he's there to participate, right? But in the Oriental culture, the groom was what the focus was. And our groom is Jesus Christ. And he chose the name for his invitation, for the wedding invitation, to be the Lamb. Of the countless names of Jesus that we find in Scripture, in Revelation it says it is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why? Because it is a reminder, the Lamb is the reminder of what he has done to buy his precious church. That He was the sacrifice. That His blood was poured out so that all who would come to Him and say, I believe that all of my sins are put upon Him and He is sacrificed and His blood poured out so that my sins can be washed away and atoned for. And now, as a result, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed and placed upon us. And Paul says, guess what, guys? I work this race and I pursue it because there is a finish line ahead and it is all worth it. Notice what he says, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Why is it worth it? Because of a placement. We are here temporarily. How do we pursue Him? We remember that this place is temporary. The Hebrews, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all who had been given the promise and they didn't attain the promise in this life, but they strove with joy towards what was to come because they understood that their citizenship was not here. We amount and, and acquire things here and we are just like what Paul said the enemies of the cross were, that they gathered up possessions because their minds were set on the earthly things and Paul says, no, 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 we are citizens of heaven. We have a prize that says that our Savior awaits. The groom awaits. Martin Luther shares in a sermon on the prodigal son's return. This image of the father, right? Who, who's there. And it says, the father upon seeing his son, so he was looking for him. doesn't say he waited, but he ran to him because he loved him. Brothers and sisters, what is it worth? It's worth this. We have a prize. Our Savior is coming and we are awaiting him. One who would redeem us. One who loves us so much that he offers himself for us. And not only that, we have a citizenship in heaven, a Savior who comes, but notice what it says, what He will do. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. There is a power that Jesus has that He is in, 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 enacting upon us that we will be transformed to be glorious. Like Him, we don't do it for our own glory, but to be in His image, we are transformed. You know, I walk this life and, and I've been training for this stupid race and, and my body aches and I hate it and I, and I go to bed putting like uh, Ben Gay on all the time. I'm falling apart. I'm, I'm getting closer to that 40 mark. If you're older, I'm sorry. Nobody left after that. That's good. I've had six concussions in my life. It doesn't work all up here anymore. Someday, I will be transformed. And I will take this meat skin and cast it aside transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. That's worth it. Not because of the physical toil, but to be with my Savior. Keeping an eye on the finish line helps. But as we run, sometimes we run and you know, we, we want to keep our head down because we don't want to know how much farther we have to go. Right? If we see a, a bend up around the corner, we know, oh great, that means we have another X number of 
distance to go. I am convinced that the reason why the Lord didn't tell us specifically our end date is because we'd get so focused on that. The reality is we have a goal, a finish line. And it is Jesus Christ and eternity with Him in glory. And that is what we keep our mind on. That is how the disciples and and Paul were able to walk and say, I rejoice that I'm counted worthy to suffer with Christ because I have an end goal. This walk of pursuing Christ as our gain is going to be hard. But we need to keep looking ahead, surrounding ourselves with the people of God and remember that there is a glorious future. How do we do it? I mean, we've said it, I don't know how many times. I've had conversations with some of our deacons about this. I probably use this reference ad nauseum, but maybe it's like fits with Philippians. Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that set before him scorned its shame, cast it aside, Consider him who endured such suffering from sinful men so that you do not become weary in well-doing and grow faint and tired. How do we walk this? What is Paul saying? I could sum it up. I could have probably done this sermon in five minutes and you would have thanked me. Um, But here's the reality. Here's the, the point of this whole sermon. Paul says, I'm not there, but I keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to walk because Jesus is calling me. And if we did that, our church would be transformed, our lives would be transformed. If we would just keep our eyes on Jesus, walking towards Him, and we will not grow weary, and we will not faint, but we will have the strength to endure. And I pray that that would be our hope and confidence as we continue our walk of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank you for the example of Paul, and Father, we know that he was an incredible man who did incredible things, but he did it because your Spirit moved him. And your Spirit is the one who did the work in him, and I'm sure if he were here today, he would say that. And so, Father, we do not idolize Paul, but we recognize the truth of your word spoken through him, and Father, we come before you with pleas of, we need you. Father, we thank you that we are victorious and we can lay aside the sins that so easily beset us and we can cast them off because we are free, free indeed in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's any here today entrapped by their sin and guilt and shame, whatever that might be, Lord, I pray that you would remind them of who they are in you. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, precious blood poured out for them. That to you they are worth it. And Father, I pray that we would look forward knowing full well the power of an almighty God and we would move in such a way that we expect you to move. And Father, I pray that we would be reminded by the examples of our brothers and sisters and Father, that we would seek to be examples one to another and that we would most importantly Remember, it is all worth it to be with you in glory for eternity. Father, I pray that that would be our heart cry. We love you.
In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.